the book of Ephesians. That is going to be our next sermon series, Finding Your True Identity. Uh, it seems like that is something that uh, is prevalent in this world today, is that we're trying to find our true identity, trying to find out who we truly are, trying to find out what we're truly here for. And uh, there may be different ways of people putting that in different ways of people uh, expressing that desire of how to find their true identity. Uh, but I want us to understand that the Bible tells us how we can understand our identity in this world. And he, the Bible helps us to understand what our identity should be in. You know, there's a lot of places that we can place our identity in and try to find it in. Uh, when we were back in Pennsylvania, there was a lot of women who tried to find their identity in their children. And I'm sure you could find that almost anywhere, uh, where they find their identity in their job. They, they, they find their identity in being a homemaker, a, a housewife, or uh, maybe it's whatever job that they do out in the, uh, the secular world. They find their identity in something. That's something that men often do. They find their identity in the job that they have, rather than in Jesus Christ. How can we combat that? Well, the Bible gets into it here in the book of Ephesians very quickly, as the Apostle Paul, who we'll talk about in just a, a few minutes as we get into the, uh, the message this morning, but the Apostle Paul is writing to a church. He's writing to a group of people, men and women, boys and girls, who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And the first half of the book, the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, uh, we would say is very doctrinal, very instructional. Uh, it's telling us what we have, so that way the last three chapters of the book, he gets into a very practical mindset, knowing that what we have in the first three chapters as Christians or what we could have if you become a Christian should then live out in your life in the last three chapters uh, is how he talks practically. You know, I find it often times that we want to quote the second half of the book of Ephesians and talk about how uh, the Bible says we should live this way or abstain from this or do this or act this way. This should be coming out of our lives. Yes, it should. But to be truthful with you, it's not going to happen if we don't understand the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. If we don't understand our identity and who we are, the last three chapters of the book really are not going to have any effect because it's going to just be outward appearances. We talked about the Pharisees last week when we talked about Nicodemus very briefly. But Jesus talked about how they were whited sepulchers. They were pretty on the outside, but they were dead on the inside. And that is how a lot of us are trying to live our lives today. We are pretty and we are great and we look the part and look what we're supposed to on the outside but truthfully inside we are dying that is why we see suicide rate increase that's why we see 
horrible things like we see on, uh, in the court system today happening to people and children even because we look good and okay on the outside. How neighbors can look at these people and say, I cannot believe that so-and-so would have done that because of the outside. When truthfully, the inside, we are dying. We're going to pray once more as we get into the beginning of our message this morning, and then we're going to read a few verses. Or why don't I reverse that? We'll read a few verses, and then we'll pray and ask the Lord to help us today. We're in the book of Ephesians. And so if you have your Bible with you, I want to encourage you to turn there. If you have it on your phone, go ahead and bring it up. You could also, uh, on the back of that card that is on your seat, you could scan the QR code and download the church app. And in the church app, there is a digital uh, Bible there that you can just uh, get to while you're here at church. You could also get to it while uh, you're away from church during the week. If you wanted to read your uh, Bible at work on your lunch break or wherever you may be, uh, hopefully not driving, uh, but uh, you can get it whenever you need to. And Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, the, the Bible says this. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. To the saints who are in Ephesus, and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We're going to get into the message this morning and talk about just simply an introduction to finding our true identity. An introduction to finding our true identity. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you for this time that you've given us to be here this morning. Although, Lord, it's raining and the April showers, which we now have, maybe we'll bring May flowers. And, Father, I do pray that as... Uh, it's raining outside. I pray that today, Lord, that you inside here this morning, that you would get the honor and the glory. Father, I pray that you would help us today as we look into your word, as we look into the scripture, and we look to see what you have to say to us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me, give me the words to say. I pray that everybody in the sound of my voice would hear the true call to Trust in you, trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior this morning. Lord, I pray that they would also hear how we can find our true identity. And as we dig deeper in the next coming weeks, Father, I pray that you would help us to truly find our identity biblically. Find our identity in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I thank you for what you've done, what you're going to do with the rest of the day that we have. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I was saying here, we see here in the first few verses, the Apostle Paul, as he generally does, he introduces himself to the church that he is writing this letter to, an epistle uh, that we see here. Uh, it often is talked about as the epistle written to the Ephesians. Uh, epistle simply means letter. And the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to these people uh, that, in this case, he has met before. He spent 
uh, a couple years with them, as we'll see in the book of Acts in just a few minutes to kind of give us some more context. Uh, the Apostle Paul was there, and he spent a couple years with them. Uh, it could be up to uh, three years of time with these people. And that is actually, in comparison to some other churches that he spent time with, that is actually a lengthy amount of time that he spent with these people. Uh, if you think about the uh, church in Thessalonica, which is still in that same uh, general area uh, as you go around the uh, Aegean Sea, uh, as you got the, the church in Corinth, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, uh, on the western portion of the Aegean Sea, and then the church in Ephesus on the eastern shore of the Aegean Sea. And we have, uh, it kind of goes up like this, and we have churches all around there. And we see that the Apostle Paul spent about like six months to maybe a year at the most uh, with the church in Thessalonica, but he spent up to about three years with this church in Ephesus. This is also a church that the uh, man Timothy spent some time, a lengthy time there as well. We see it says here in verse 1 of chapter 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. So we need to stop right there just to kind of get an introduction to who this writer is. If you want to understand our identity in Jesus, if you want to understand what the book of Ephesians is saying, or truly any book of the Bible, you need to understand the context that we're coming into the book with. And the first thing we need to understand is who is writing this book. Who is the one who is writing this letter to these people, and what authority does he have, to be honest with you? What authority does he have to write this letter? Because there are books of the what some people would call scripture, which uh, we would say isn't scripture, uh, most conservative Bible believers, because they are extra biblical, uh, but they were written maybe around the same time or shortly thereafter, and uh, there's books of the Bible, that, uh, excuse me, books that are not in the Bible uh, that we could say, well, why aren't they in the Bible? Where well, there are some criteria, and I'm not going to get to all the criteria, but one of them was that in the New Testament, it had to be written by an apostle or one closely associated to an apostle. Uh, we know not every book of the New Testament was written by an apostle, but they had close ties to an apostle. For the example of Mark, uh, not an apostle, but he had a lot of time spent with the apostle Peter. And so we see that connection there as well. But we see that the apostle Paul was an apostle. So just quickly, what is a biblical apostle? What is an apostle biblically? Because you may uh, run into churches today where they have uh, people who are in their church in leadership and they call them apostles. Well, I'm sorry to say, but that is not possible to be a true biblical apostle. An apostle simply means someone who is sent as a messenger. It simply is just a word that is talking about somebody who was sent by God to give a message. But also as we see in the Bible, we see that an apostle is somebody who saw the risen Jesus, the risen Christ. The apostle Paul, uh, we won't read it today for time's sake, as we have some other scriptures I want to get into, uh, but he said in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, that we read a couple weeks ago, uh, that he uh, was an apostle born out of due time 
And he talks about how he saw the risen Jesus. We can go back into the book of Acts and we can see uh, that uh, the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus as he was traveling to uh, Damascus to uh, go and put Christians in prison and to find them and to kill them and to uh, persecute them as he did with the man Stephen uh, there in the early portions of the book of Acts as well. Uh, as he's on that road, we see that he comes into an encounter with a man who we know to be, and the Apostle Paul uh, acknowledges that he is the risen Jesus Christ. And so the Apostle Paul saw that risen Jesus. The other apostles saw the risen Jesus, as it says in the early portions of, of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, uh, we see, and even in, getting into chapter 2, we see that uh, the apostles... Those who saw the risen Jesus, uh, they saw him for up to 40 days after he resurrected from the dead. And we see that even above uh, about 500 people at once uh, saw the risen Jesus. And so we see that in order to be an apostle, a, a sent one specifically uh, from Jesus to give a message from God, we see that an apostle biblically must have seen the risen Jesus. So the authority that the Apostle Paul has, the authority that he comes to this church in is as an Apostle of Jesus, a sent one with a message from God. You know, the message that we have that Jesus even said for all Christians to go into the world and to preach the gospel, that authority that we have is not from ourselves, but it's from the scriptures and it is from Jesus himself uh, to go and to preach the gospel. He says, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. That word power, it means authority. All authority has been given unto Jesus. And he then has given us that authority as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, to go and to preach the gospel into every nation and every tongue. We are not apostles, but we are sent ones with a, messengers, with, with a message. Secondly, to understand this epistle, I think we need to understand that the Apostle Paul is writing this from a prison cell. You could also say, because of how they did it back in this day, he was in watch by a, a, a guard in his house. He was in house arrest. Uh, maybe similar to our probation today that you could uh, talk about. He was in his house, but he could not go anywhere without a prisoner, a prison guard, uh, a soldier, uh, okaying it. And even more so in, in this time, they often would be chained to that soldier to make sure, because they didn't have those uh, GPS tracking devices that you could put on someone's ankle. Uh, they didn't have ways to track somebody and find out where they are or where they're going, where they're headed. Back in that day, uh, except for maybe watching them or being chained to them. And so he was writing this as a prisoner in Rome. Writing to these people. And we're going to find out why that's important when we get into the first few verses. As we read here, starting in verse 1. So we saw the writer. We saw who the Apostle Paul is. And how he has the authority to write to this church. First he met them and he started the church there in Ephesus. So he was the founding pastor, you could say. 
but also he was an apostle of Jesus Christ. Secondly, I want us to see the introduction to the recipients. The introduction to the recipients. It says in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. He makes that clear, and let me mention that. He makes it clear that his apostleship is not because of something he decided. It's not because of something that Paul said, I think that looks cool, so let's me be that. I want to do that job. But it's by the will of God. He understood that the only reason that he was able to be an apostle of Jesus Christ was because of God deciding it, God's will. So who, who is it written to? It says here in the last part of verse 1, it says, To the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. The saints who are in Ephesus and faithful to Christ Jesus. First, I want us to see uh, that this introduction is written to those who are in Ephesus. It's the church in, in, uh, in Ephesus. It's to the Ephesians. Sorry, I thought I had to sneeze there. Maybe it'll come. But it was written to the church in Ephesus, the people of the city of Ephesus. So what do we know about this city of Ephesus? Well, I want us to see back in Acts chapter 19, we get an understanding here about this city and about this church and about what uh, the Apostle Paul uh, encountered while he was there at this church in Ephesus. It says in uh, Acts chapter 19 and verse 1, it says, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. So as I said, and maybe I can share a map with you sometime here in the future, but on the western shore of the Aegean Sea was Corinth. That is where Apollos was. And the Apostle Paul, it says, passed through the upper region. So he went up over the Aegean Sea and down south into the eastern portion of the Aegean Sea to Ephesus. And finding some disciples. So he came to Ephesus and he found some disciples. He found some of those who were followers of Jesus. And he says here in verse 2, And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now I'm not going to get into the extent of this, but we know today from the Bible that after the transition period of Jesus dying on the cross and the church age starting and coming into full effect at the, after the apostles uh, went off the scene and died, we, we know that the Bible is clear that we receive the Holy Spirit of God as we get saved. The moment of salvation, we receive God's Spirit. But at this point, there was a a uh, time period where God used a sign gift of laying on of hands by the apostles to help give or to help identify that people have the Holy Spirit and that they are Christians and disciples of God. And so we see here that he's asking them this question for that reason. And, he said, and also they were getting into this period of the Gentiles, those who are non-Jews, receiving salvation as well, which was another aspect of this as well. It says here, So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. 
And so they heard about salvation, but they did not hear about this Holy Spirit. He says in verse 3, and he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Verse 4, and then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who uh, would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now when men were about twelve in all, now the men were about twelve in all, and he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way, uh, talking about the way of Jesus Christ, uh, he even says in John 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so that's what they're speaking of when they say the way. Uh, the way through Jesus Christ, the way to God, that when they were speaking evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannius. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of Jesus, of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Verse 11, now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that the, even the handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from the body uh, to the sick. And the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish ex exorcists uh, took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over uh, those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also there were seven sons of Sceviah, a Jewish chief priest who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Uh, we see here that not just anybody could do these miracles, but they needed to have the power of God. Jesus said as he ascended, Wait ye in Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that they needed in this time to do these miracles, to do these signs, to prove that they were actually from God and what they were saying was from God. So these men couldn't do it. They didn't have that power. Verse 17, this became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear was on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Now let me uh, also mention this, that the signs and the miracles that were done at this time, it was so that Jesus could be magnified, not so that themselves could be magnified. It was not so Paul could be uplifted. It was not so the other apostles could be uplifted. It was not so those who were doing these signs and miracles could have the prominence and could have the position, uh, but it was so that Jesus Christ in his name and his power and his glory and his honor could be uplifted and magnified. 
It was all about Jesus. It was all about the Savior. And he goes on to say here that as he did these things, Jesus' name was magnified, verse 18, and many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted it up, the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Can I let you know something this morning? That no matter where you are, no matter what is going on in your life, no matter what society you're preaching to, if you're preaching Jesus, things can change. His name can be magnified. People can be saved and lives can be dramatically changed for the cause of Jesus Christ. Even in Vermont. Even where we're standing today in a place where many would say, oh, uh, as we were coming up here to even start this church, many called it Sanders land. And they were saying, you know, you're going up to a place uh, that is liberal and who is hard-hearted towards the gospel. And you know what? You're going to find those people no matter where you go. But no matter where you go, if you preach the name of Jesus and you do it with the power of Jesus and with the Holy Spirit helping you and guiding you, no matter where you are, if Jesus' name is magnified and glorified and preached, it will change lives. It will do what it's supposed to do in the hearts and minds of those that allow it to come in and take root. The word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed over that wicked nation of Ephesus, that city, which I'm going to get into a little bit later, but just mention it here, which had a temple to Diana, which, if you know anything about that goddess, it was a goddess of fertility and all the things that came with it. Verse 21, it says, uh, When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the Spirit, when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, uh, to, to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he went into Macedonia, two of those uh, who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. But about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way, for a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines in, of Diana, uh, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. So he gained off of this uh, uh, idol that he was making, this thing that people would worship out of silver that was a false goddess to these people. They believed it, it was real, but it was a false goddess, had no power. Uh, he was making gain off of this, and he was getting upset that the Apostle Paul uh, had them who uh, received Jesus Christ. They forsook this goddess. They forsook the evil way and were going towards the way, Jesus Christ. And this man, Demetrius, was not happy about it because he was losing his monetary gain off of this. He says in verse 25, it says, He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made 
with hands. So not only this trade of ours in, is, is in danger of, of falling into uh, disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. And when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. Then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him, pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, uh, for the assembly was confused, and most of them did not know why they had come together. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, uh, the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander uh, motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they found out that he was a Jew, all with one voice cried out for about two hours, Great is Diana of the Ephesians! Great is Diana of the Ephesians! And when he, the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus! What man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a cause against anyone. The courts are open, and there are prosecutors. Uh, let them be bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar. There being no reason which we may give to account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. I read all that because I want us to see the picture of what Paul is dealing with here in Ephesians, in Ephesus. He's dealing with a city that is built for this goddess Diana. And in history, we see that it was burnt down, destroyed a couple times once before this, and they rebuilt it, which shows that it was such a great deal to them to make sure that this temple stood. Later on, it would really be destroyed, so much to the, the point where they didn't rebuild it once again. This was at the time of the ancient world, one considered one of the seven wonders of the world. People would come from far, and they would want to see this temple. These people were given to this temple. These people were people who gave their lives like Demetrius, making profit off of this temple and this goddess of the Ephesians. Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey. It was one of those places that although people believed in the gospel, 
Paul did not come to this place without opposition. He did not come to this place without having persecution. But we also see that this was not just written to those people in Ephesus, but it was also written to saints. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, but this word saint, it's speaking of somebody who is exclusively God's. They are set apart to God. They are sanctified to God. They are exclusively His. It is not somebody who has special powers. It is not somebody who has done so many miracles that they are now called or uplifted as a saint. But anybody, as the Apostle Paul talks here, anybody who has trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior to God is considered a saint. They are exclusively His. He calls these people in Ephesus. He says, to all the saints, to all the people who have put their faith in Jesus, who are exclusively His. This was a city that was intellectual in their society. It was a main capital for this Asia minor area of the Roman Empire. This city was a big deal. But we also see an indication of this church in Revelation chapter 2. We see here in Revelation chapter 2, and it says in verse 1, written to seven churches in Asia. We see that God is writing these through the Apostle John. Seven literal churches. And this first church that he writes to is the church in Ephesus. And it says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These things say, says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works. Your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. He's saying you're staying away from evil. We talked about the evil society that they were in. He's saying you're doing all you can to live a life that is separate from that and set apart unto God. I know your works. I know your labor. I know your travail. I know your passion for righteousness and that you cannot bear those who are evil or of the evil way. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. We see even back here in this day, there were people who were trying to say they were apostles and they were not. And the Apostle Paul says, or excuse me, the Apostle John here uh, is saying to them, uh, you were testing them whether they were an apostle or not. And you found them liars. They were trying to live a life that was pleasing to God. They were trying to live a life that was following after his words and not the falsehoods that were being prevailed and propagated at this time. 
Verse 3, and you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. You have labored for the name of Jesus and you're not weary in well-doing. But you're staying faithful. He's encouraging them. He's helping them to remind themselves of the good things that they are doing in the name of Jesus. But verse 4, Nevertheless, you are doing all these things, and they're good things. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. That you have left your first love. We love him because he first loved us. But he's talking about their love for Jesus. Their love for the Savior. It's grown cold. It's coming to a point where they're doing these things mechanically. You left your first love, verse 5, remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. As we finish up this introduction to finding our true identity, understanding the book that we are getting into, the book of Ephesians, I want us to lastly see the introduction to the purpose. The introduction to the purpose of the Apostle Paul's writing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. First, letter A, it is to speak of the blessings of God. In the book of Revelation, we see they left their first love. Can I help you understand that that is not something that happens overnight? You do not leave your love and your passion for the Savior just one day when you wake up, it takes time. And no doubt some of this was happening when the Apostle Paul uh, was writing this book to the Ephesians. Because he gets into the purpose here for the book, and it is, the, first off, the blessings that have come from the Father. He says here in verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 1, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his name, 
excuse me, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. We see here some of the blessings that God has bestowed upon us, those who have trusted Christ as our Savior, who has a relationship with Jesus. Uh, we're going to talk about these very briefly, very overviewish, because in the next couple weeks, we're going to dive into it in much de more detail so we can do it justice. Uh, but we see here first that we are chosen as Christians. Christians are chosen by God. But what does it say after that? What are they chosen to? That is important. It says here that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, before he laid the foundation that we hear about in Genesis chapter 1. Every Christian on this earth was chosen that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. We're chosen to be like Jesus. We're chosen to be like Jesus. Also, Christians are predestinated. Predestinated, me, predestinated means that we are bound for a destination. It is going to happen. Having predestinated us to adoption as sons, We'll get into it in much more detail in the next coming weeks, probably not next week, uh, maybe next week. We'll see how, uh, how long the, 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 the chosen part goes. But predestined to the adoption of sons, it's speaking to in this day and age, in the biblical time, about an inheritance. And so I want you to grab onto that, and as we come to that here a little bit later, you can understand that a little bit more as we dive into it. But also, Christians are accepted, and we're going to spend... A little bit of time on this because I think this is important. Just as much as the chosen to be like Jesus is important and predestinated to the inheritances, uh, adoption of children is important. We see here that the being accepted by God is so important for Christians to understand. It's so important for the world to understand. Because in trying to find our true identity, what we are trying to find is acceptance. What we are trying to find is people, societies, cultures who accept us. But God has already accepted every single Christian. And we're going to spend some time on that here in the next couple weeks. But lastly, as we finish this message this morning, the purpose is to inspire the Ephesians to live in light of God's blessings. It's not just to live a life that is pleasing to God, but it's to live it in light of his blessings. We are chosen, we are predestinated, we are accepted. We are his. 
If you're a Christian this morning, my question for you is, are you living a life in accordance with the purpose that God has for you as a Christian? The purpose of this book? Or are you living a life like the Pharisees? Whited sepulchers, nice on the outside, but dead man's bones on the inside. You may be alive in Jesus Christ, but have you left your first love? Have you left the one who died for you? Because whenever we are not living a life that is in accordance with his will, it's because we took a step away from Jesus. Jesus never left us. It says in the book of Hebrews, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. God is always there. He is always here with us. But if you are not a Christian today and you cannot say that you're experiencing these blessings of God, you can. You can by making that decision to start your identity today, not in the things of this world, not in who you want to be or who you think you are, uh, not in who society tries to convince you you are, but you can start your true identity in Jesus today. And you can find that true identity in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. As we get into this series, this next month, month and a half, I want us to truly understand that our identity is found in Jesus. Our identity is found in the one who died for the sins of the world. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the New Life Vermont podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And you can help us out by liking, sharing, commenting, and subscribing uh, about every episode that you find helpful. Also, don't forget to check us out on our website at newlifecv.org. And if you have any questions that you would like to submit uh, for future episodes, you can submit those to our Facebook uh, direct message, or you can go to our email which is newlifevapcv at gmail.com.